0: Rebecca heads up our deliverance ministry. She's a she's a force, I'll tell you. She's passionate about God, and she's she's come from a place she's just tired of just talking. She wants to see things happen. So I'll give this over to Rebecca. Here you go. Do you want to open us in prayer? I can. I thought Lewis kind of, but we can pray again. You probably, you probably. Pastor Steve, you want to come up here too and lay hands on this young lady? Pastor Steve Perez father we just thank you for this night oh my goodness we are so expectant god we just want to see you come and radically alter the trajectory of each of our lives oh thank you jesus father i just pray for rebecca and the others that stand up here and swing for the fences god that people will hear their heart they'll hear the transformation that happened because they put their hope in you god So, Father, we just pray, as we always do here, that when we leave here tonight, we will be changed more into your image. And, Father, that we would become the signs that make people wonder. Amen? Amen. Amen.
1: All right. Thank you. All right. So, I'm super excited. Um, Tonight is about restoring hope. Uh, And hope means to have an expectation or an anticipation for something. You've probably heard the proverb, hope delayed makes the heart sick. Uh, So without hope, we can become depressed, feel despair, and in some cases, suicidal. Our world needs hope, but the things that the world hopes in is temporary, and it gives false hope. If we put our hope in the things of this world, we will be disappointed. Uh, The things of this world can pull us away from God and even open doors to the enemy. James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And James isn't talking about friendship with people. He's talking about things in this world that are in opposition to God, such as rebellion and pride, sexual immorality, selfish ambitions, and idols. Three worldly things that I see people put their hope in. Uh, government is one of them. So what happens when people put their hope in a political leader to save America? We all saw in the last few elections people lose their minds over who is going to be the next president. We saw a division like never before. And unfortunately, when I think of a politician, I think deception and empty promises. Money is the second thing people put hope in. The United States is one of the wealthiest countries in the world and we're ranked number two for depression. So, you know, I guess um, money doesn't always bring happiness. Paul says, those who want to be rich, however, fall into temptation and become ensnared by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Spirituality is the third thing people put hope in. In Colossians, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ you've probably heard people say that they're spiritual but not religious they may pray to a god but it's not the god of the bible they believe being a good person will get them to a heavenly place someday or they'll be reincarnated they worship the creation instead of the creator they practice yoga and meditate to clear their minds they may believe in spirit guides tarot cards astrology and psychics They use crystals for healing and sage for cleansing their home of evil. This is the New Age movement. These deceptions have crept into the church, and many Christians today practice these things and hold some of these beliefs. In 1 Timothy we read, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. As believers we have so much more to hope for our focus needs to be on things that are eternal we should be storing up treasures in heaven such as sharing the gospel serving others and giving our time and money to things that glorify God heaven gives us hope one day there will be a new heaven a new earth and a new Jerusalem here is how the city is described in Revelation the New Jerusalem shines with the glory of God, and we will see his face. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be within the city. It has great high walls made of jasper, clear as crystal, with 12 gates made of pearls, and angels are on each gate. The city and streets are made of gold, transparent like glass. The 12 foundations are made up of 12 different precious stones. Down the middle of the great street of the city, is a river and on each side is the tree of life. Each month it will yield a different fruit. So the city alone is about the size of the United States. It would be 600,000 stories tall or 1,400 miles. A mathematician did the calculations and said that 20 billion people could live there, each owning 75 acres with room left over for streets and parks. That's just the city. There will be no more tears, no mourning, no pain, and no death in heaven. Your purpose will give you hope. God made you unique and has a specific purpose for your life. Paul says, God has arranged the members of the body, every one of them, according to his design. There are various gifts given to believers, such as prophesying, Serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy, words of wisdom and knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, discerning of spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Jesus said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Most likely you'll need these gifts to walk in your calling and your purpose, so ask God for them. The Holy Spirit gives us hope. Paul said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is vital to us. He brings comfort, conviction of sin, he teaches us, he reminds us of God's word, gives us power to bring healing to others, he gives us wisdom, and he prays for us through intercession. When we are born again, our lives should be noticeably different. I like how the Passion Translation is for uh, Galatians 5.22. The fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. <clears throat> the church gives us hope. When the church is healthy, It is a refuge for people to come and be built up, encouraged, loved, restored, delivered, and healed. It should be more like a hospital and a training center than a day spa or country club. (laughs) Jesus gives us hope. Peter said in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The debt that we owed has been paid, and we no longer have to be slaves to sin. So keep your eyes on him, and don't let the world steal your hope. So we're going to listen to three testimonies of people that have found hope in Jesus Christ. Um first, I'm going to have Kaylee come forward
2: Okay, this is really cool <laughs> now I'm used to doing this in Sunday school, so if I start like waiting for you to raise your hands when I ask a question or, you know, just bear with me. <laughs> so recently, um, we've a couple of times, uh, to family, I know there are lots of new faces here, but recently we've talked about um, life and death being in the power of the tongue. And uh, three verses that go with that. There's one, life and death is in the power of the tongue, that's in Proverbs. And then out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's coming off your tongue? coming out of your heart and as a man thinks in his heart so is he so ah, i believe something god wants to do is you've probably all heard the term tongue-tied and um... there's a slight twist on that um, uh... there was a season not too long ago for me where I felt completely tongue-tied. I could not about, and specifically, about speaking truth, specifically about who I am. And I believe that there may be other people in that position, and I think God wants to break that. So, uh, going back, actually five years this spring, um, and several years before that, uh, there was a dark, dark time for me Uh, where I grew up here. This is like the most amazing place to grow up that I could think of. (laughs) And so I had truth poured into me my whole life. So I knew the truth about who I am to Jesus and how precious I am to him and who I am to God, but it had gotten very buried. And so even though I knew it, I had reached a point where I could not speak it. And... Sometimes it was almost literally could not, like I could, I could know sort of, but when I tried to speak it, I couldn't do it. So uh, my story is not as suddenly as some people <laughs> some people have suddenlies where suddenly it all breaks loose and you are free. And I think God has that for a lot of people here. Mine was a slower work, but if God does the work. That's all that matters. (laughs) So So, uh, here and now, uh, when I get discouraged, I can look back to about five years ago and before that and say, if God brought me from there to here, then he can do anything. (laughs) And I mean anything. (laughs) And if he can do it for me, I know he can do it for all of you. So, um, basically how I got in that dark place was when I gave up on my ability to, to be what God, what I knew God wanted me to be, and I gave up on my ability to do it. So that was, long story short, how I got there. And the journey back up and out has been, a lot of it has been learning God revealing just how much Jesus can do and how much, what it means when Jesus says, take my yoke on you, and his yoke, he's, he's in the other side of the yoke. So, <laughs> you're not the one carrying the heavy weight. And I just want to read a couple of verses. Um, Philippians 1.6, uh, probably everybody is familiar with that one being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ and then also another one of my favorites uh, Philippians 2:13 for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure and and then you all know what is impossible with men is um, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Or nothing is impossible with God. And uh, (laughs) I'm going to steal a quote from my mom. Um, (laughs) She would say this quote sometimes when... um, Uh, There were six of us kids growing up, and sometimes mom would walk in and see the living room floor, and she would quote this quote. She was quoting a a wise man who happens to be one of my favorite authors, but I would sometimes say this, uh, and I still do sometimes feel it, but uh, when I would look at my soul and how broken it is, the quote is, this mess is so big. And so deep and so tall, I cannot pick it up. There is no way at all. Dr. Seuss, if you're wondering, but. (laughs) Uh, And once I realized just how broken my soul was, I just came to a place of utter despair that I could ever fix it. And God's reply to that is I love his reply. He kind of, well, first of all, you know, we talk about having strongholds in us, you know, like, like, um, if you're unfamiliar with the term, that's like, um, a lie that you've believed about yourself and it's become so strong that it's like part of your identity, strongholds. And we talk about those, but, you know, when I would look at my soul, it felt like not just strongholds, it felt like castles and fortified walls and (laughs) all these ramparts and it just looked so impossible that it could ever be broken down, but, um... God's reply would be kind of chuckle and say, don't worry, I've got a man on the inside. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just have to interject, get a man on the inside. <laughs> don't, if you try to fix yourself without a man on the inside, <laughs> it's, oh, well, that is hopeless. But, when you've got a man on the inside, then in, there's no wall. There's no door that can't be broken down. There's no, and yeah, <laughs> he can literally do anything once he's in there. And I, I think that's why, I mean, I think it's one of the devil's best best um, strategies is I've got to fix myself up a little bit before I come to Jesus. You know, I can't, and that was something, even though I already had Jesus in me um that was something he used on me so much just like i'd be so ashamed of the place i was in i did not feel like i could even look you know jesus in the eyes i've got to do at least try before i can come to him but jesus says come to me and let me fix you don't fix yourself and then come to me come to me and let you let me fix you uh, it, Isaiah forty-two three, where it says, "A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax, flax he will not quench." He doesn't. He doesn't say, "Wait until you're this blazing, burning fire, and got it all together to come." You know, come when you're bruised and you're broken and you're uh, smoking, and you. You know, I felt like I didn't have any flame left. You know, but he didn't quench me. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you. <sighs> he never stops working. When your identity is wrapped up so tight in lies that you don't feel like you can break through of them, Jesus never stops working. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And everybody knows you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Knowing Jesus that's the only way. <laughs> That's the only way. <laughs> I, uh, it's... <laughs> uh, yeah, I just can't overstate that enough. How much the enemy tries to get you to fix yourself before coming to know Jesus instead of going to know Jesus and letting Jesus be the one who fixed you. That's just... It's still a journey. still a journey for me. But it, it has changed a lot. <laughs> and... Uh, and like I said, suddenlies are awesome. If, if you get a suddenly from God and he just breaks off a stronghold, breaks off a lie, that is so good. And I just, I pray that, pray that you do. Uh, but if you don't get a suddenly and it's a slower work, remember God doing the work. It doesn't matter how, uh, how slow it is. I remember uh, about five years ago, um, there was a turning point when God finally brought me to a place he you know like i say he never stopped working and he brought me to a place where i finally could say even if i i could not get the lies off of my identity but i could say i want your way even if it means losing my identity and that was a huge huge stronghold broken down but you know he he knew how to get there he he got me there and uh I remember how I was saying being tongue-tied and not able to speak the truth of who I, who I am. Uh, I remember there'd be like my thought life and my, my thoughts would be so negative and it would be a battle to say one word, one word of truth. To just get out, even just say God is good or even just say I belong to Jesus it was so hard. And yet... And so it doesn't make sense, because like uh, people talk about the balance of like negativity and positivity, and you want to make sure all your thoughts are positive and stuff. But if you have nothing but negative thoughts and you have one positive thought, it doesn't make sense that that would actually really do anything. And yet, what did Jesus do with five fish, you know, <laughs> five, or, or two fish and five loaves, whatever it was? <laughs> Jesus is not limited. By how much you have to give. Uh, I love the verse that says give in accordance with what you have. Not in accordance with what you don't have. So if all you can do is fight as hard as you can do to say one word of truth. Don't underestimate that. God will meet you there and he will use that. So ah, uh, he met me there. He used that. I have a long way to go, but i can <laughs> I can say he has done so much. He has done so much, and the more he does, the more I realize how far I have to go. <laughs> but uh, you know, he has brought me from a place where my thought life of belief about my identity was worthless, hopeless. I would you know. The most loathsome coward to ever crawl the earth. That was really in there. And shame and self-hatred was like a shroud. Uh, The song Ain't No Grave, we've been singing a couple of times recently. Um, I love that song, how it says, shame is a prison cruel as the grave, because that's what it felt like to me. I felt like I was in a grave of shame and there was no hope to get out. But God brought me from that to... You know, from those tiny, barely being able to say one word of truth to now I can declare that I am his beloved. I am wanted by Jesus. (laughs) I am clean and pure in him. He's called me as a shepherd. I have a shepherd's heart that he's given me, he's called me as an intercessor. I am not a coward. Jesus specifically told me that, which was amazing. <laughs> that, that was a fun little encounter because um, uh, uh, Psalm 108.13, through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who will tread down our enemies. All of the courage that I need for whatever situation comes is available in him. And God broke, broke that stronghold. <laughs> I am not a coward. And I'm a warrior of mercy. Just to clarify, that's someone, not who has mercy on their enemy, but someone who God uses through acts, deeds, intercessions, de- declarations of mercy to break down the enemy's camp. <laughs> I'm an explorer, an adventurer, and a passionate seeker of the mysteries of God. I can say all of that because God has freed my tongue to be able to speak the truth about who I am. (laughs) So thank you, God, for what you have done for me. And I just want to release that testimony over everyone here that you would free People to be able to speak the truth of who they are to you, your beloved, your called ones, your chosen ones, clean and pure, made pure by your blood and your sight. And I just pray for revelation uh, to everyone here about who they are to you. In Jesus' name.
1: Thank you, you, Kaylee. I love it. All right. Could I have Emily Solaris come forward?
3: Hello you guys. So, I'm going to start with a verse and it is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Amen? Who also knows that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy? But the Lord will leave the 99 to find the one, just as a shepherd. From the time I was in the womb, the enemy was after me. At birth, I was unresponsive with no score. The doctors had to work on me before my parents ever met me face to face, but God intervened. In my early childhood, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian family and grow up in church, but my household was somewhat chaotic. I always had my dad at work trying to provide for our families, and sometimes I would only see him 20 minutes a day. It wasn't until my teenage years I was really able to get to know my dad. And also during this time, my mom was greatly oppressed. She would disassociate for hours, and wasn't there mentally at the very young age i was raising my little brother as well which we soon learned was also autistic this lasted years but soon my mom was delivered at the altar in front of everyone and it was a complete jesus encounter amen at the young age i was taught about signs and wonders. I would sit in the living room and watch Benny Hinn Crusades for hours and I would really just take in what I learned from Benny Hinn and what I saw. I always wanted to be like him because I thought what he was doing was so cool for Jesus. I would stand in front of the living room fireplace dressed like my dad and I would preach sermons to my family and I would practice how I would tell others about Jesus because I thought that was the coolest thing ever. During this time, my family took a trip to Portland, Oregon to attend a Benny Hinn Crusade when I was still pretty young. I sat and watched as a power god hit, seeing people fall onto the floor, and when they stand back up, they would be healed, hold, delivered, and set free. On my way home from this trip, I was singing Let the Veil vale Down by Judy Jacobs with my family, and I became shaky very shaky and uncontrollably crying, and that was my first encounter with Holy Spirit, and it ended up being something I'd remember for the rest of my life. During this time, I was starting to experience very vivid dreams as well that I would soon learn were prophetic dreams. I would have dreams that would have scenarios in them, which then would come true to the very detail months to years later. Often in my dreams, I would sit and talk to Jesus face-to-face, and he would give me stories or give me advice for my life, or just small things you needed to know as a child, and I grew up with that image of Jesus in my head from those dreams. He was my friend. I also started seeing into the spiritual realm during this time, which was very terrifying at what I was seeing, because all of it was not good. Well, most of it. (laughs) Um, And... So going to, into school at a young age, I would try to tell others about Jesus and pray for them, which, you, sh- I mean, it's great and all, but other kids don't want their touched and prayed for when they don't know about Jesus. And I didn't understand that, and I ended up in timeout often for this. <laughs> During elementary, I was bullied quite often. I couldn't understand why people were so mean to other people. It just baffled me. I often found myself in the counselor's office or principal's office and this followed me until my middle school years. In sixth grade, I was beat up and bullied often. At one instance, I had my head shoved into a brick and it broke the front of my teeth. In the locker room, I would be completely robbed of my clothes and left naked and mocked because people did not like me. Halfway through my sixth grade year, I would would try to fit in with the kids who partied because they accepted everybody and never judged. This was my first introduction into the party life and what I thought was cool at that time. The start of my seventh grade year, I decided to drop out of public school and start online school because of the path I was going down and because of being bullied. During the start of my seventh grade year, the economy tanked and we lost our home. We soon moved in with my grandparents during this time. From the age of 12 to 17, I battled with depression and eating disorder. I would purge my food because I would remember the things people said about me in school. I would throw up because I wanted to be good enough for those people that bullied me because the scars were so deep from what they had said to me. Also during this time, I did not feel much, so I would cut my arms just to feel something because I was so depressed and hopeless from what had happened to me. The enemy had a stronghold on my life, which I did not understand at the time, but I see it now. I did not understand that the enemy would put lies into my head of what I should be or shouldn't be, or what they think I should be, and I would always listen to the enemy and let him talk to me, and it ended up taking me down a very bad road to where I tried ending my life multiple times, but God saved me. I still had a hope and a future, even if I did not see it, because God has a hope and a future for every single one of you in this room. During my teens, I was still involved with the church and youth group, but my relationship with Jesus was teetering during this time, and I was dealing with a lot of personal traumas during this time. I felt lonely and so far away from him, even though he was right there the entire time. He was always chasing me, even though I did not see it at the time, and I felt so alone. And then it just pushed me away from him further because I was more focused on the things I was going through than on God. I'd finally made it to senior year and graduated. I'd also graduated years worth of therapy that I had endured due to traumas. I was always in the children's unit, and the therapists were probably tired of seeing me. (laughs) And uh, I finally graduated. Um, I had somewhat of a different perspective on life. After this time and I was starting my life when maybe two months after my graduation my grandpa went into for a simple procedure and ended up having a stroke the day he was supposed to be discharged is when he had a stroke and they had to put him on life support this rocked me to my core he was a strong figure in my life who had been there during the difficult times and had a strong walk with Christ even while my relationship was tearing with Jesus and I was basically running, I still could look at the relationship he had with Christ and know that there was hope. From the earliest age, he would tell me about Jesus and his words were forever ingrained into my mind and my heart. I tried believing Jesus for his healing during this time because I knew Jesus could heal. I was desperate during this time. I was confused because I was taught Jesus heals and saves, but here I am going through all of this. So how could that be true? But I also knew that I had to be serious if I was seriously gonna ask God. So I asked God to save him. I lay next to him in the ICU one night begging God to please save him. And I knew my grandpa had to play a part to play in that as well. He then passed a day later. While I was grieving, I tried keeping myself busy. I was falling deeper into depression than before and the medication was no longer working. My friends tried getting me out of the house and to get my mind off things. During this outing, I was taken advantage of and raped by someone who I had trust, which then ended up ending my relationship with Jesus for good because there was nothing else that I could possibly lose after all of that. I found myself getting a job and working at an assisted living home where I would soon then become a med tech. I started making new friends during this time. We were all the same age group. This reintroduced me to the party life that I had walked away from which I had briefly seen in middle school every night after work I would go to the liquor store and pick up a bottle and down a bottle and then I got involved in drugs because I was the only thing that would numb my pain and make me feel like I was okay inside I completely threw Jesus to the side because I could no longer stand trying to have a relationship with him after everything that had happened this was a vicious cycle where I would go drink at night, and I would wake up somewhere different the next morning and not know where I was at. I then was introduced to the life where we would do organized illegal activities, and I would sell myself for drugs, and I would sell myself for anything I could get, because I no longer cared who I was, I no longer had any self-worth, and I just was empty inside. Months later, I found myself staying in a car with my friend, drugged out, and I was pregnant. And I did not care because I was mentally gone. A little time later, I lost my baby because I did not care and because I was still on drugs. After my miscarriage, I moved in with one of my best friends. He was there for me through death, through life traumas, through everything. And I had been there for him when he was bleeding out on the side of the road and almost dead. We shared a lot of traumas together. I think it was more of a trauma bond. And we ended up in a relationship. At this time, we were raising two teenage boys. We loved them deeply. Um, They were the sweetest. Um, During this time, we were also still on drugs, and we were involved in things we shouldn't have been involved in. We were um, selling and trafficking drugs. When I would come home, there would be new people in my house every single night, people I did not know. Or I would be home alone and new people would show up at my house and try to get in that I did not know. I was really confused during this time, but it's what I knew because I was in a violent cycle. This relationship turned into a domestic abuse where he would beat me and I was afraid to leave the relationship for multiple reasons, and still I was running from God and did not see my self-worth. I thought God had turned his face from me and completely abandoned me, but that was not the case. He was still watching me, and he was still there even when I did not see it. Later, months later, my ex then tried hitting me with his car and killing me, which after that, my, ex, my other ex came down from California and got me out of that relationship before I would end up dead. I know if I'd stayed a little longer, I wouldn't be here. In the process of me leaving this relationship, I had left the assisted living where I was working at, and I had got a job at a doctor's office, which was very good. It gave me a fresh start. My cousin had told her boss about me and helped me get the job. And um, to be able to get the job at the doctor's office, I had to pass a drug test. I stopped using for a minute and got a clean UA, got hired, and then I started using again because that's what I knew. And during this time, I wanted nothing to do with God. I did not want to hear about God. I didn't want to hear anything about church. I didn't want to hear anything, anything. (laughs) But God works in funny ways because every single doctor and person are Christians at my job (laughs) and I could not escape them. They would constantly talk about Jesus and I wanted them to shut up and they wouldn't. And (laughs) God knew I was trapped. I was trapped, I couldn't escape them. It was not happening. During this time, it was during the COVID lockdowns while the churches were being shut down in California I don't know if you guys have heard of Sean Foyt with the Let Us Worship movement, but he was having big, huge revival worship um, in concert parks and all kinds of different things. And he was supposed to be in Portland, Oregon in a couple months. My cousin tried convincing me that we needed to go to this thing. Keep in mind, I was still running from God. And I had finally agreed because I had a tug in my heart which at the time I didn't know it was God, but it was God. I show up to this event with my cousin, and I am watching everyone worship, and I'm watching everything that is happening. There's healings taking place. People are giving their lives to God, and people just want God. And it hit me, like, what am I doing? Like, where have I, like, what is happening It was so overwhelming, and I started reliving everything I had went through in my life in that moment, and I was like, I just want this to end right here, right now, and I ended up giving my life to God that night, and (laughs) instantly, no more drugs, no more drinking. It was like I was a whole new person. And God had other plans. And what the enemy used to try to kill and destroy me, God is turning in to use for his glory. It, even if you have brokenness inside you, he can still use that. He can use that because he can transform your heart and heal your heart and just completely use that for his will. And it, it's something beautiful seeing where you were and where you can be or where you're going. But you can't do it, like Kaylee said, by yourself. You have to have Jesus. Because if you try doing it by yourself, it's not gonna work. You're just gonna feel broken and empty. The entire time I had been running and I see now that Jesus was running after me. Multiple instances, where he spared my life to where I should not be alive. At one point, I was drugged out in a car with my friend and uh, we were going over a cliff and he had passed out at the wheel and God stopped that car for going over the edge and we were hanging over the edge. Even in my brokenness, God still was looking out for me regardless he will leave the 99 to find the one. He will, he will. And as for the thoughts you have in your head that are negative and say, oh, why don't you kill yourself? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Rebuke them. Say, I recognize the source of my opposition as the enemy. I'm going to yield to it. It is Satan and say, fear, I resist you. I resist you in the name of Jesus. You have no right here because fear does not have a right because you have a future and you just have to keep your eyes on God. God wants to use you. God does want to use you even if you're in a broken place right now and you do not feel like you have a purpose or you said, God, I did all these things. How could you ever use me? He will use you. You could have done the worst thing, the most disgusting thing, and he will still use that for his good, and he loves and he will forgive you. Amen? God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for everyone that showed up tonight, Father, and I thank you that you will just open their hearts if there's anyone here that needs just healing or just needs to feel that or is struggling God to speak to them right now in Jesus name. Amen.
1: amen. That was powerful. All right, can I have Bobby Johnson and Jay come
4: forward?
5: Hello, everybody. I just want to tell everybody, God's always on the move for us. He's always on the move. I just want to let you guys know, at one time there was no hope for me. I was on meth for 26 years, and my life was just, I'm talking, I took it as low as it could go, and and I was crawling, man, I'm telling you. Brothers and sisters, man, God has done a—he's he's done a miracle in my life. But uh, I ended up getting kicked out of rehab, and uh, my mom took me to see Brother Bobby back in 2008. And let me tell you, this—this this brother here—he's a friend that's closer than a brother. I just
6: want to introduce Bobby Johnson to you. To my amazing brother.
4: Thank you, brother. Bless you, brother.
6: All right. Well, I saw everybody come up here with their little notebooks and everything. They had it all perfect order and everything. And, you know, I came in here tonight, and I didn't have my notebook. I did write one out, and I did everything wrote down for myself. But my wonderful daughter back here cleaned out the car car before we left to make sure uh, that we had room to sit in. There was five of us. So my notebook's at home. But you know what? I said, uh, Lord, what about that? And he he says, don't worry about what you're going to say in front of the judge because the judge the holy spirit is going to come to you and he's going to give you utterance to speak in front of people i said all right lord that's what we want to do tonight and i said thank you jesus i just want to thank him right now for allowing me to be here in front of you tonight my name is bob and i am a grateful believer i was a 33 year drug addict alcoholic you guys and uh i was powerhouse in that at the age of 14 I, I was drinking every day i was uh, probably an alcoholic at the age of 14 easily and uh I just want to let you know, there's hope for you. Because I've been clean for 17 years now. Now, my, I, was raised, I was raised in a really good family. My, my dad was Army Intelligence and Security Division. My dad ran a tight ship at home, you know. I was uh, the fourth of five children. Two older sisters, three, three, three boys. And I was in between the boys. And I tell you, I was the rebellious black sheep, okay? If any of you can... can uh, can familiarize with that. That's who you're looking at right here, okay? Everybody else would listen to my dad and do what he says. And except for my, my one of my sisters, she kind of jumped over the rope once in a while. But I stayed over the rope, you guys, okay? That's the that's way my life was led. And, and you know, I've so many times the, the enemy came and tried to take my life away from me. And uh, I went through a deliverance one time, and I was told that uh, when I went through this deliverance I, I was sitting by it next to God and some of the things that I said they taped it for me 72 times the enemy had tried to take my life from me Okay, 72 different times he attempted to take my life and uh, I can only remember a couple of them but uh, you know what God started showing me different times when the enemy had tried to take my life from me Okay, so God is watching out for you you might be going through it right now you might not even, even feel like you're, you're close to the Lord you might not think that God loves you but he loves you and he's with you right now, and he's watching over you, okay? And he wants to take care of you. And if you give your life to him, he will do that for you, okay? So uh, I, I was a 33-year alcoholic, drug addict, and, uh, you know, in 1990, I decided uh, that me and my wife decided that uh, we were gonna, I was going to give my life to the Lord. I started going to church with my brother Dale. My Brother Dale led me to the Lord. And it was not because he was trying to push me into doing that. It was because his life the way he was living it was so good. And I was thinking to myself, wow, man, I, you know, I need a life like that, man, where things are working out, you know, and you have a sound mind all the time instead of chaotic life all the time. And so I did that. I started going to church, me and my wife, and uh, we weren't married at the time. We were just living together. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, the Lord touched my heart at that time. And I quit drinking and I quit doing drugs. And I was good for over a year. And then that sacrificial wine came into my mind one day, okay? And I want to tell you, don't listen to that voice. When that voice comes to you, it's the devil. He comes for one reason. He's a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy only, okay? That's all he wants to do. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. So I started drinking again after a little over a year of being sober. And you guys, I became a junkie, okay, for 15 years after that. And uh, it was bad. It was real bad. I was losing my family. I was losing my household. Uh, I'd get kicked out of my house. The judge kicked me out of the house at one time. And uh, I got my way back into the house. But, you know, my life was chaotic. It wasn't a life that I wanted to live. And I knew that inside. And I was reading a Bible in, in Isaiah 11.3, uh, I believe it was. It says, uh, I do not judge by what I see. And I, I do not uh, judge by what I see. And I do not go by what I hear. But I do righteous judgment. That's what the Lord does. And I says, Lord, if that's true, then you know inside of me I really want to do good. But I can't do good. I'm bound down. I'm bound down in drugs. And guys, I was using a lot of drugs, I was selling a lot of drugs. And it wasn't okay. And I knew it wasn't okay. But I was doing it anyway because the habit had ownership of me. I had walked away from my Lord. I'm not saying that I wasn't saved anymore. When I gave my life to the Lord, he grabbed a hold of me, and nobody can snatch me out of my father's hand. But I want to tell you one day, I got really down and depressed, okay? I was going to the doctors many, many times, and I started getting a, a little sick, too, and I had started getting schizophrenic. I had schizophrenia for six and a half years, so the last six and a half years of my using, and uh, I got hepatitis C from dirty needles, Okay. And uh, I'll tell you, that's not something that you want to have. It attacks parts of your body. It started attacking my liver, and it started affecting my kidneys, okay? And I was going to the doctor, and he says, you know what, Bob? Uh, there's nothing else we can do for you. You might as well just go home. So I was supposed to go home and die, you guys. And I was okay with that. I said, all right, that's what I'll do then. I'm going to go home and die. And it was almost a year later. I'm sitting under a tree one day getting high in my backyard, and I'm going to get a little emotional now, Okay? Because that's what God does. He loves us no matter what we're going through. No matter what we're into. God loves you. And you might think you're not worthy. But God says you are worthy. You're mine. I, I love you. And I'm not going to let you go. Just because you let yourself go not, doesn't mean I'm going to let you go. And he touched me under that tree one day, you guys. And uh, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, wow, that's you, God. And I didn't freak out or anything. I didn't even get weirder. And I go, wow, that's you, God. And I was waiting for somebody to call me with, with a bag of, of drugs. And, uh, and uh, he called finally, and I answered the phone. And he goes, man, I got it. And I says, I said, you know what, I don't, I don't think I want any. I says, God touched me under a tree, man. I think God come and visit me under a tree. And he goes, what? And I go, I'm serious. I think Jesus came to visit me under a tree. And he goes, are you kidding? I lost another one to Jesus? And I go, yeah, I think you did. You lost another one. And you guys, I never used drugs again after that. I've been in the hospital seven times because I go through such severe withdrawals, okay, when I tried to quit, okay? But this time I had no withdrawals or anything. I, I was still drinking at the time. Check this out. Still drinking and smoking pot. And, and uh, I told my wife when she got home, I said, hey, honey, uh, God touched me under a tree today, man. I think I'm going to go to church on Sunday. And she goes, oh, no, what would you get a hold of this time? Okay. <laughs> And then you got to see, that my wife never got high. She doesn't do anything like that. So she knew me. And she says, why? Why would you get older this time? And I'm like, I got old of Jesus, this time. A, this one's different. So I was going to church on Sunday. And my boss at work, she says, hey, Bob, uh, you are going to have to work Sunday. And I said, what? I said, I was going to go to church on Sunday. She goes, no, we need you to work on Sunday. So I worked that Sunday. And the next Sunday, I told her, well, I'm, I'm going to church next Sunday and you can't stop me. And she, she says, well, you're supposed to work Sunday, so I just want you to be aware. Of that. I said, all right, I'm aware of it. And so uh, while this week went by, I was going to go back to the church that I started at. It was the Baptist church, okay? And that's where I got baptized. But uh, my son, in between my addiction, uh, had gone out to this other church. It was Azalea Glen Christian Center. And uh, he went out there and I went and watched him get baptized. And he got out of the water and he came up and he gives me a hug, okay? And and he was wet. And I go, wow, all right. Now, I'm wet. You're wet. I got beer in the car. I got to go. And I left. And God kept that on my mind, you guys, for this week. And I'm I'm sitting there thinking about this constantly. I can't get it out of my mind. And so it comes Sunday. I says, you know what? Um, i won't go out to that other church. I'm going to go see what's going on over there. I went out to that church that day, and you guys, I'm cutting this a, a lot shorter, man. I could give you like uh, 480 pages of testimony, okay? But uh, I went out to that church, and uh, lo and behold, I sat out in my car, and I was just, I was crying because I had gone to church. And uh, there was that really big guy, man, and, and he was, uh, he'd come over to the car door. He opens it, and he says, hey, uh, you going to come in? And I'm thinking to myself, wow, these guys got a bouncer at their church. Check this <laughs> out. And uh, so I thought I was getting bounced or something, you know. And he says, no. And he just says, was so loving and kind. And he says, are you going to come inside? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm going I'm to come inside. And he says, all right, here, come on, I'll help you inside. His name was Dick. And he was a really nice guy. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord now, okay. But uh, we went inside. And uh, I sit down. And, and uh, I just couldn't help it, man. There was just tears coming out of my eyes. And I... And I was so, such a manly guy, you know. I, I, tears don't come out of me like that. You just don't do that. But well, I couldn't stop it, man. There was flows, rivers of tears coming out. And then uh, Pastor Dan, he's up there, and he says, uh, he says, I want to talk about breaking the chains of addiction today, and I'm going to tell you about Nathaniel under the tree. <laughs> I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. My God loved me, and he was going to talk to me. Later, I accused my pastor of knowing I was coming. He said, no. He said, Bob, but the Holy Spirit knew you were coming. And he just told me about me under the tree and breaking the chains of my addiction. And you guys, I listened to that message, and I, I cried. I went up front when he did the service call, and, and they prayed for me. And I went home, and I opened up my beer, started to drink it, and... It tasted like the chemical smell under the sink, man. You ever open a sink in the old days and you could smell all the chemicals? That's what it tasted like. I spewed it out and I turned it over and put it in the sink. And I have never drank again. And I went through no withdrawals from that either. That's our God. That's the the loving God that loves you. That's the loving God that we have hope in, okay? That's the God that we have hope in. Our hope is in the Lord. That's where it's at. I said, well, Lord, you, you grew weed, so I'm going to keep smoking this weed. And, and uh, he says, uh, the guy, God's telling me slowly. He said, okay, we'll see. And, you know, God won't force you to do anything. You get to make the choice. But I'll smoke my weed for three days, and I did nothing but cry for hours. I could not enjoy one even toke, not, not none of it. And uh, I said, all right, Lord, I can't do anything anymore. What do you What do you want me to do? And Boom, I never craved weed again. I have never smoked it. I've never wanted it. I've never wanted drugs again. All of it was taken away because of my Savior. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Things of old are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And everything had become new for me and my family. And God restored my family. God gave us our love back again. I love my wife so much. We've been married for 31 years now. Awesome, huh? We got married in in 91, and we've been married for 31 years now. Going to go on 32, okay, on our anniversary. And I'm not going to forget that either. So (laughs) that's letting you know. God restored my mind, you guys. He took the schizophrenia away from me. He took hepatitis C out of my blood. Okay, I went to the doctor and I said I said, Doctor, I got hepatitis C, so you gotta be careful when you're taking my blood. And I went back the second time. He goes, he goes, Baba, why do you keep saying you got hepatitis C? You don't have hepatitis C. I said, What? <laughs> and he said, You don't have it. We made sure we thoroughly checked you two or three times now. You have no hepatitis C. It was gone. God took it out, you guys. He took it away, man. He didn't want it inside of me. He had a purpose for my life. And that purpose did not include having hepatitis C in me. He healed my liver, you guys. He healed, he healed all parts of me. I am healed in the name of Jesus. By his stripes I was healed. And I am healed because of his stripes. And I claim that over me. I claim it over my family. I claim it over my friends. This is a brother that sticks closer. This is a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother to me, right here, Jay Nermie. Okay, you you might have noticed, you know, we even wear the same clothes and stuff. It's just crazy, you know. We go out there, man. And people are in trouble because if you got a demon inside of you, he's gonna go. He has to go, man. I'm gonna tell you that right now. We don't stand for it. I want to tell you some other things, and uh, I really have a lot more about my testimony. I love to share with everybody, but I gave you the meat of it. I want to tell you some things that have happened since then, okay? i got a friend of mine here today, Rosie. She's right back here in the corner, you guys. We brought her with us. And uh, when Jay started coming to my pizza parlor, we were doing uh, some recovery groups. And uh, Rosie came in, and she had this big old squid cancer on her back. It was about half the size. If you cut a a tennis ball in half, he'd put it on there. That's what it was. And she said, well, that's a squid cancer, doctor says. And then we said, okay, well, it's got to go, right? So we we'll put our hands on that squid cancer, and we told it to leave in the name of Jesus. You have no power or authority over this body. This is a child of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Get out. And four days later, it was gone. <laughs> it was gone. It had to go. Me and my, my niece, Heather, we, uh, we went to visit my dad. He was in the hospital And they they found a a mass in his lung, a spot, and they said, that was a cancer spot. And and we said, no, we we can't have that, okay? Because, uh, you know, that's my dad. I love my dad. How does faith work? Faith works through love. I love my dad. And and Heather loved her grandpa. So uh, we put our hands on him. And you know what? We prayed for him. And the doctor came back in two days. And my dad was still in the hospital. He came back in two days and says, Mr. Johnson, we don't know what happened. But there was no mistake. I want to show you all of these pictures that we took. And look at these pictures. There is nothing on you. There is no spot on your lungs. And my dad says, yeah, the Lord healed me. And the doctor said, no, we don't understand what happened. He goes, I'm telling you, the Lord healed me. Okay? So that's our God. That's what he does. He heals us, okay? That's who he is. He's our healer. He heals you because he loves you. He doesn't heal you because you deserve it. He doesn't heal you because you submitted to some certain set of rules and you're following them now. He heals you because he loves you. Period. end of it. God is love. God is love. Hallelujah. And I love my God because he loves me first. You know what I mean? And he brought me out of some miry clay, lifted me up, took my feet right out of there, set me upon a rock, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we can't do anything else but love him and serve him. And I want to tell you about something else. God gave me a, that pizza parlor that me and Jay were in. God gave it to me. He, he gave me a doctor that, that said, No, we, I'm not going to take that little bit of money from somebody uh, to start a pizza parlor with. And then uh, four days later, that doctor came back to me calls me up and says, Hey, come down here and meet me. He says, You know what? Uh, I think you're supposed to be in this pizza parlor. I go, Yeah, I think I am too. God said to. He says, All right, here. I'm going to give you all the money you need to start the pizza parlor. And I'll give you a couple months free rent. And, and go ahead and get her set up and start, Bob. I said, what? Are you serious right now? Because I had no money, you guys. I was, I, was, I was working in a little restaurant. Me and my wife were. We didn't have money to open no pizza parlor and stuff, but I really wanted to. So this other guy was going to help me out, but that, that doctor said, no, no, I'm not doing that deal. But he called me up and said, here, I'm going to give you the money, and you start it. That's my God. Okay, my God's a provider. He provides. Jehovah Jireh, he will provide what you need. He will provide the desire of your heart. And that was the desire of my heart. And uh, I'll tell you, I wasn't used to making money. So I didn't steward it very well, okay? So that pizza parlor lasted for a little over two years. And then uh, I had to close it down. I didn't sell beer and wine. You got to sell beer and wine at a pizza parlor, right? No, I stayed open for over two years without selling it. I'll tell you that. So you know what? But I didn't steward my money properly, okay? So we had to close that down. And a little over a year later, I had go, go, gone back to work at Denny's, okay? So I was working at Denny's at the time. I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to go back to Denny's over here. And, and I never worked there before, but I'm going to go there and work. So I went there and worked, and, uh, and I kept thinking, man, Lord, this is a busy place. And they kept saying, all right, uh, we're going to have to send this guy home. You're going to have to do everything by yourself. And I'm thinking, why are you serious, man? This is the work of three people. And, and I just could do it. I could just do it. I don't know how, but God gave me the ability to do it. Okay, and so I did that for a year, humbled myself, and then I went in to get some gas one day at my friend's gas station, and he says, "Tom says, hey Bob, uh, why don't you open this restaurant?" He's trying to rent a restaurant, you know, a little building, a cafe. And I said, "Tom, I'm working at Denny's. I don't have no money to open no restaurant or anything." He goes, "He goes, well, why don't you pray about it? I know when you pray, God's going to answer your prayer." And I says. All right, I'll, I'll pray about it, Tom. Uh, three people come and give me money. You guys say you should open that restaurant. Here, take this money and open that restaurant. I said, all right. Now that one lasted like six and a half years, you guys. And then uh, we had uh, we had uh, a meal that closed down. That that hurt us pretty good. And then the COVID hit, so we stopped doing that. I'm driving a truck now, okay. And I'm praising the Lord. And I'm listening to. So all, all the good preaching that I can hear all day long, man. I got the best radio. My phone goes up to it and, and it just plays all day long. I don't even have to use my phone. They give me a company phone, man, that gets way better Wi Fi than mine does. So I, I can get all of the good sermons, you know what I mean? So I listen to them all day long. And you guys, that's what God does. And now I'm in this restaurant. My friend Kathy came in and she says, Bob. She's Bobby. And her husband's there and he says, Man, you're not going to believe it. And I said, What's, what's the matter, you guys? And And she says, I have cancer, stage four. And they told me to get your affairs in order. I said, wow, is that what you want? And she goes, no. I said, well, then that's not going to happen. And I prayed for her. And I sat down at the booth, and I prayed for her. And her husband, Bob, he's a a a Cal Creek Indian. So he was really into a different kind of spiritual method of things, okay? I'll just put it that way. But I prayed for her, and I laid hands on her, and I said... I said, Kathy, in the name of Jesus, this cancer has to go, and it is gone. She came back a week and a half later and says, and her husband says, okay? She comes in, and she's all happy. You're not going to guess what happened. And he comes in, Bobby, you're not going to believe it. You are not going to believe this. And I said, what am I not going to believe, Bob? He He says, we just got back from the doctor, and there is no cancer in my wife right now. I said, whoa, isn't that awesome? Praise God. Jesus did it again, man. That's what he does best. That's what he does, you guys. You have faith. Have faith in God, okay? Don't have faith in, oh, Bobby laid his hands on them. They're going to be healed. No, no, don't have faith in that. Have faith in God. God's word said, if I put my hands on that person, they're going to be healed. I believe God. I don't believe me. I was a liar all of my life. I still have a hard time believing me. But you know what? <laughs> I believe God. His word is true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And then uh, a guy came in. He comes from California all the time. His name was Paul. And he became a very good friend of ours. He, he, he'd come for years to the restaurant, and he would stop in there. And he says, Bob, man, I just can't believe it. He says, I got stage 4 cancer, and, and the doctor told me to get my affairs in order. And I go, wow, did he? And he goes, yeah. He goes, uh, he goes I, you might not ever see me again. I said, well, yeah, I want to see you again, man. I am going to pray for you. I am going to tell you about a friend of mine, Kathy. And I told him about the Kathy story. And then my pastor, Dan, was there with me at the time. We are doing like a Bible study at the time in the restaurant. And, uh, and uh, so we prayed over Paul, commanded that cancer to leave him in the name of Jesus. He'd come back a week and a half later, you guys. And he says, you are not going to believe what happened. I go, I think I will. <laughs> and he says, I went back to my doctor. And she says, Paul, you don't have any cancer anymore. It's gone. I don't know what happened. He goes, I don't believe you. <laughs> and he says, you're going to have to prove that to me. So she done three thorough tests and showed him that he had no more cancer anymore. He goes, wow, I can't believe that. I know somebody that's going to be glad to hear this. And he came back to tell me about it. And I, says, I said, praise the Lord, Paul. Now you know who God is. God loves you so much that cancer doesn't even have a chance to live inside of you because of God, because of him, because of him. He, he's the one that paid the stripes, okay? By his stripes, we were healed. You guys, that's the truth. If you need hope, if you're sick and you need hope, put your hope in the Lord. Because He will deliver you. There's no doubt about it, okay? It's not an if or, well, maybe He will me. I'm just not sure if God wants to heal me. God wants to heal you. God is desiring to heal you. He's always desiring to show His mercy and kindness and love to us constantly, all the time. He never not wants to. The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of those strongholds, okay? There are strongholds inside of us that are telling us, I, I, just, I, I just can't believe that. I can't, I can't believe that that, that just saying to something to get out of me, it has to get out of me. But Jesus said to speak to your mountain. Tell it to get out. And you know what? If, you'll, if you won't doubt... If you will not doubt, that mountain will go and be cast into the sea. Amen. Those mountains that are in your life right now, I don't know what they could be for any of you, but they have to go in the name of Jesus. Okay? They have no choice. <clears throat> if you submit yourself to the Lord and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. It doesn't say he might. It doesn't say he could. It doesn't say, well, it's possible. No. God said he will flee from you if you believe. You guys, I believe God. I believe every word of God. I I believe the front of the Bible, the back of the Bible. I believe the copyright stuff that's in the Bible. I believe all of it. Every word that's in there, I believe all of those things. With all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they don't play games with the enemy anymore. If I want to talk to him, I'll write on the bottom of my shoe. Because that's the way he's going to get the message. He's just going to leave. That's all he's going to do. She doesn't get a choice so my friend Rosie again not long ago she had a stroke they took her to the hospital and uh me and Jay were hanging out right and uh we got the message that Rosie was in the hospital she had a stroke I was like Lord this, this is like miraculous timing thank you (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, most people wouldn't thank somebody for something like that. But I thank God for stuff like that, you guys, because she needed us again. And so we went in there and, and her daughter says, oh, Bob, Bob, it's hopeless. She's a vegetable. She's, she's paralyzed on her right side and she, her mind don't work. She can't see. She can't concentrate. And I said, don't worry about it. She's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. So we walked in there and the nurse was telling us yeah, she's paralyzed on her right-hand side she she has no strength and, and she's not coherent and i said uh, she will be we we prayed for i don't know 30 minutes probably huh the nurse came in and says well we're gonna we're gonna try to wake her up and so the nurse comes in and she wakes her up and she's like Ugh. and then she's like rosie rosie do you know who this is and She's like, oh, yeah, that's Bobby. That's my brother Bobby. And I was like, whoa, all right, Brother Jay. They're both here. And say, yeah, Rosie, you're going to be fine. And, and the nurse says, here, squeeze my fingers. And she grabbed both hands, squeezed as tight as she goes. She goes, wow, you are strong. She is strong, you guys. She has now been able to move her whole body. She walked in here with us tonight. She's here to bring hope to people. If you want hope, hope, your hope is in the Lord, okay? And we're giving you testimonies of these things tonight because God is true to His Word. You read it in the Bible and you say, this is my Word. I claim it. It is the truth. It's God's promise to you. I don't know how many rainbows I've seen today thinking about the promises of God. All your promises won't let go of me all day long today. There's just batches in the sky where rainbows were coming down today and it was just amazing to me and i just said god was touching my heart i said lord you're touching my heart man you're letting me know that tonight's going to be a night of hope for people people are going to be raised there to be signs wonders and miracles that happen in people's lives and if they don't get it tonight they're going to get it within a week and a half i know that much for sure i've seen it i've witnessed it and i've been had the privilege of my god sending me to people What a privilege that is, that God could see a faith in a person and say, I want you to go over here, and they go. Well, that's what we did. We went. And I thank God for it, because I love her. I love her with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. She's a really good friend of mine. Jesus is my best friend. Jesus took me, you guys. I was doomed. My life was over. I tried to commit suicide. And uh, I didn't do it. And when I got out of the hospital after trying that, then uh, that's when the doctor told me, there's nothing else we can do for you, Bobby. C is eating you. And uh, so I went home to die. But you know what? I'm here today, standing here in front of you all. And that's been 17 years. My God is true to his word. And you take that home, and you take it home to your children. You take it home to your children's children, and you hand it to them. You hand it to them with the hand of faith, okay? You lay your hands on people, and you pray for them. And don't think that you have to do anything. Just believe God's Word. If you put your hands on them, and you, and you tell that mountain to leave, if you pray for them, you put your hands on them, they will be healed. Don't doubt. Little enemy boy, you know, a little... Weasel of a devil, right? Yeah. He's such a, a little foe, but he seems so giant sometimes. He seemed like a giant in my life. But he's nothing. And he has no authority. All power and authority has been given to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And he's inside of you. And he's wanting to go out there. He relishes the thought of going and healing everybody. How many times did he heal everybody? Every time. Every time. Every time. So I don't know how long I've taken, but I know I'm getting really close, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Father, we just thank you for tonight. Lord, I just pray over everybody that goes home tonight and lays hands on their family members, Lord, and their friends and their neighbors, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And they don't have to do it tonight, but whenever they lay hands on them with good faith, Lord, that you will bring to pass what your word says in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I feel inspired. So we're going to attempt to play a video. We'll see if it's going to work for us.
5: Now, you can't change your past. But you can determine your destiny by deciding for Christ. But Christ can change your past. He died on the cross so that all the sins you've ever committed, all the things you've ever done wrong, are forgiven what do you have to do you have to repent of your sins that means to be willing to change your way of living you may have no power to do it you may not have power to give up some of those habits you know are wrong you may not have power to fall in love with your wife again you may not have power to change your whole life that you know needs to be changed but if you surrender to Christ he'll give you the power You say, well, Billy, I don't know what else to do. I've been baptized, I joined the church and so forth, but I don't really have peace and joy and power in my life, all that you're talking about. How do I get it? Jesus Christ said, I am the way. Come to Christ. He will give you a new strength and a new power and a new joy and a new peace and a purpose for living. Every person that ever lived has to make the same choice. It's either the world and its pleasures and its gods or it's Christ. Which is it for you? Who are you choosing? Who are you voting for? Choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Oh yes, there's pleasure in sin for a short time. But it's soon over. The hangover comes. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to be there choose christ and there'll never be a hangover except joy and peace and it's an urgent decision because to delay makes the right decision harder indecision in itself is a choice not to decide is to decide not to if you have a ticket for a flight to atlanta tonight and can't decide whether to go or not if you wait past the departure time the choice will have been made the plane will take off without you Decisions are made whether we make them or not. Time decides if you will not. And time always decides against you. There's a lonely arena in the depths of your heart where the greatest battle of life must be fought alone. That's your decision about Christ. Your parents can't make it for you. The church can't make it for you. Your friends can't make it for you. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend can't make it for you. You have to make it yourself. And you must decide tonight. There are hundreds of people here tonight that have to decide tonight. And your decision tonight, yes or no, will decide where you'll be a hundred years from now. If you're not sure that you're ready to meet God, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, and you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, you come and make sure tonight. I believe that none of you are here by accident tonight. I believe that you're here on this particular night because this is the night... That you are to meet God in a new way and receive him in your heart.
1: So we are going to worship now after all that inspiration. Uh, so, we have chairs set up on each side of the sanctuary. And these are chairs if you need physical healing, if you need emotional healing, whatever your need is, if you want to give your life to the Lord tonight, this is the time to do it. Like Billy Graham said, not making a decision is making a decision. There's no fence. So, the chairs are for you to get prayer if our ministry teams could. Um, set up on each side, that would be great. Um, so, we're going to worship. And um, I just want to thank Kaylee and Emily and Bobby. It's not easy to get up here and share, to pour your heart out and share every, you know, heartache, every hurt, every decision you made. It's not easy to do that. It takes a lot of courage to do that. So, I just want to thank them.
6: Yeah.
0: is a lot tonight, but I, what I really see happening here is there's pools around the room. <coughs> and come on in, the water's fine. Mm-hmm. Some of you are here tonight, and you probably really been struggling with making that decision to really be all in. You're tired of playing the fence. You're tired of just kind of being half in, half out, being frustrated. It's time to get all the way in. And I want to encourage you tonight when we start to worship... You can come into the chairs on either side or you can come forward too. And I'm saying, come on in. The water's fine. God wants to touch you. He wants to heal you. There is, right now, there is so much going on in this room. There's so many different points that people are just struggling with in their own personal walk. And so we've tried to set this up in a way that you could get touched in different places. So you can either go to the chairs or I encourage you when worship starts, just come on up, get in the water, get in his presence. Amen? Okay. Amen.
4: I just felt like activating something. We just heard a salvation message right there. And uh, it's a good opportunity for anybody. Everybody, actually. Why don't we just agree with heaven and the gospel, the good news, and just say yes. Yes, Lord, I agree with you. Yes, Lord, I receive you. Yes, Lord, I am all in. Yes, Lord, we say yes, Lord. We say yes to you. rival me with a melody you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears have gone I no longer God